You're listening to Rock's Heart Radio. In today's episode, Roxanne Moran kicks off our two-part series on cardiometabolic health with guest Pam Taub. Hello, it's Roxana Moran from Rock's Heart Radio, and we are so excited about our guest today. I'm going to have a little conversation one-on-one, woman-to-woman, to my close colleague and friend, Dr. Pam Taub. She is professor of medicine at the University of California, San Diego, UC San Diego, director of the Step Family Foundation, uh, Cardiovascular Rehabilitation and Wellness Center, a world-renowned physician in terms of uh, uh, her incredible insights on cardiometabolic syndromes and cardiometabolic health, but much more importantly, in her uh, leadership in terms of uh, clinical trials, equity, diversity, and inclusion, but uh, also uh, a very, very um, fantastic speaker around the world. Welcome, Pam. If it's okay, I'm going to call you Pam. Of course. It's such a pleasure to be here with you, Roxana. It, it is really my pleasure to have you here and always great to have a conversation with you because you are so true to the soul and in every bit of the way. For decades now, you've been talking about uh, over a decade, I think, cardiometabolic health. You have put a lot of your efforts into clinical trials. You're leading some of the most important clinical trials, but also within your own research, really thinking about this cardiovascular wellness that goes beyond just the regular risk factors, but rather gets into the cardiometabolic syndromes. And now it's the talk of the town. That's all everyone is talking about. At this year's AHA, it's it's select. It's all about select uh, the trial. And it seems like everyone has a little bit of a little tinge of semaglutide um, uh, in their air almost, I mean, almost impossible. So let's talk a little bit about that. And maybe you could just sort of lay it down for us and how it all started for you and why you believe this could be the key to improving cardiovascular health around the globe. So it's interesting. I got into this field really through research. So my mentor was the late uh, Robert Henry, who was uh, one of the presidents of the ADA. And he was my mentor during cardiology fellowship. And he really told me back then as a cardiologist that I needed to get into the whole cardiometabolic space. And he taught me so much. We did a lot of mechanistic work on metabolic syndrome. He taught me how to do muscle biopsies to really gain insights into cellular metabolism. So I really got into this field through the research perspective. But because of that, very early on, I started using SGLT2 inhibitors and GLP-1 receptor agonists in my clinical practice. I felt very comfortable using these medications. And I remember my colleagues would make fun of me and say, why are you using these medications for diabetes? This is not something we in cardiology want to do. And I kept saying back then, these medications are incredible. They have pleiotropic effects. They can do multiple things. And gradually the data started to emerge. So the same colleagues that were once teasing me about using some of these agents now come to me and say, okay, how do I manage this side effect or how do I do that? So it's really come full circle, but I really think that SGLT2 inhibitors and GLP-1 receptor agonists 
are some of the most powerful drugs for cardiovascular disease prevention. And it's also about using them early and appropriately. And one of the things that's happening is now they're in vogue and there is a lot of inappropriate use of, of these medications. So we can talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah. So, so let's, you know, it just seems to me, uh, you know, I'm not so sure, is it pleiotropic or, or is it because it's getting to the issue of obesity and is it, is it the fact that our nation and probably the world, if you look at it, uh, are, we're eating too much <laughs> and there's early satiety with this, uh, with this medication as a GL, you know, as a glucagon like protein agonist. And of course, uh, an important just central effect and also gastroparesis and all the things that goes on. Mm -hmm. But it seems like it takes care of that issue. And then in turn, we're seeing, you know, improvement in HEFPEF and HEFREF and hospitalizations for heart failure and 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 reduction of risk factors and improvement of it is just unbelievable what we're seeing so how do you explain all of that who should get on it mm -hmm. um what's your what's your feeling now you know this is going to air before the select is presented so we we really we don't know what the magnitude and that treatment effect is if there's mortality benefit we just don't know we know the primary endpoint has been reached which is pretty significant and this is a pretty much an all comer just you know a lot of a, a lot of us including myself fit into the category that should be on semaglutide and i'm wondering how are we going to get enough supply of this stuff and and are we overusing it and when should we use it mm -hmm. So I think that you have to use it appropriately because one of the things that we're learning with this class of agents is some people are looking for the easy way out and not also having concomitant lifestyle strategies. And what we do know is if you stop these medications, the weight comes back. So you're really looking at, a, for a lot of people, lifelong use of these very expensive medications. And then the other issue is at what doses. So in my clinical practice, what I've always done is use the smallest possible dose and used it really to jumpstart the lifestyle. And when you do that synergistically, these medications work very well. What I'm also seeing is people are using very high dosages of these medications very quickly, not titrating up. And I'm seeing a lot of adverse side effects. For instance, uh, I saw uh, when I was on call, there was a patient who had lost about uh, 50 pounds with a tercepatide, which is a GLP-1, GIP-1, GLP-1, GIP agonist. Um, was a heart failure patient, got hypotensive, uh, had to be admitted to the ICU, was on pressors, all because of the inappropriate use of this medication. So we have to be careful and people who really understand mechanistically how these medications are working, especially in our cardiovascular patients who are on multiple other agents that impact blood pressure, that impact hydration, so we also need to have a good knowledge base and good training of our clinicians before they start using these medications. No, um, it's your point is so well taken. And we really realize that um, we're seeing a little bit of overutilization. And now there's also issues with access to these medicines to those who really need it. So we have to be cognizant of it, but uh, hopefully 
uh, the companies are also uh, who are promoting these are making sure there's enough supply for the people who uh, the medication fits in. But how do you how do you uh, foresee um, uh, the the effect of these meds on some of the risk factors? That's what I'm really like. I'm I'm just feeling like the entire um, the entire uh, uh, attention is now kind of really about the nation that eats too much. Uh, and are we um, in, in, are we in some way, and, and I'm really going to be interested in the American Heart Association meeting, whether or not um, the AHA will start thinking about how do we uh, really curtail our eating habits and change those in a way that maybe we won't need semaglutide as an aid, but that this could start early, even in childhood. What's your feeling about the cardiometabolic health that has to do with obesity and overeating? Yeah, obesity is an underlying substrate for cardiometabolic disease and increased cardiovascular risk. Uh, when you have obesity, there's also increased inflammation. And we know that inflammation is a big substrate for atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease and, and cancer. So decreasing obesity really gets at the whole spectrum of these multiple chronic diseases. But treating obesity alone isn't going to solve all the problems. You still have people that are very thin that have elevated LDL, elevated lipoprotein A. So we can't be too simplistic and think in thinking that treating obesity is going to solve everything because there are people that have other comorbidities that drive disease. You know, many, especially women, have inflammatory diseases and autoimmune diseases that are still going to drive atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, even if obesity is controlled for. Uh, but we need to be thinking about a, a, the healthiest way to control um, obesity, because these medications are great for a lot of people, but there's a lot of people that can't tolerate them because of side effects. Now and let's talk a little bit about those side effects. I, I've now, um, you know, I'm talking to my GI colleagues. They said that just with semaglutide out there, their business has boomed. The number of people who are coming in with nausea, vomiting, hiccups, belching, <laughs> the GI issues are tremendous. And, uh, and they're really are, um, you know, it's causing um, the next level of evaluation. And then I do want to talk about the the thyroid issue as well. So maybe those two things, top of the list, and then um, maybe we'll talk, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going if there are other side effects that you're concerned about. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to give these agents to people who have a history of thyroid cancer. So that's a contraindication. You don't want to give it to people who have a history of pancreatitis. And I and I've and I've seen this actually clinically in uh, multiple patients who have a history of prior alcohol abuse and maybe remotely had some issue of pancreatitis, but it was it was you know 10, 15 years ago, so not on top of their mind, and then they get put on these medications and then they get a flare of pancreatitis. So that's another group of people that we wanna be thinking about. But the nausea and the GERD for most people are manageable. And it's always about starting at a very, very low dose and titrating up slowly. And uh, if you've been doing this lo a long time, you kind of have a, a good regimen of what doses you start with and at what 
intervals you increase. But what's been happening is so many people are just starting to prescribe these medications and they're just starting to rev it up because they want to see that weight loss occur very rapidly. But that's just not the way to do it. You want to do it very slow. So a lot of the side effects can be mitigated if you uh, titrate up slowly. There's also an oral version of semi semaglutide that I use for a lot of patients because I want to do that very slow titration. And I'll even start the oral version as once a week and gradually go up so that the side effects become tolerable. But there are a significant number of people that just can't take these agents. And for those people, we have to, there's still other things that we can do. Uh, there are lifestyle strategies. There's other medications. One of the medications that I love, especially for my pre-diabetics is metformin. Mm -hmm. It will cause a five to 10 pound weight loss and it has so many benefits and it's very cheap. And so there's, there's other things we can do. These drugs aren't the end all and be all. And we, we do have to be thinking holistically about our patients. It's not that you're one and done, you give them these medications, you still have to address lipids, you still have to address hypercoagulability and all of these other issues that drive cardiovascular disease. Yeah, so what have you noticed in your patients who have significant weight loss on these program, on these drugs? Have you seen that you need less antihypertensives, less statins less, uh, you know, less of everything else. And, and certainly their hemoglobin A1C improving. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Definitely. And this is where, uh, especially in our complex cardiovascular patients, you got to pay attention to all the drugs they're on, especially diuretics. I can't tell you the number of people that are getting extremely volume depleted uh, and having going into uh, acute kidney uh, failure because of this. So you have to have a plan of dialing down uh, diuretics, especially when people are started on these agents. Because one of the things that happens is not only does your appetite decrease, but your drive to drink water also decreases. So you have also decreased oral intake of water. So that, that's another thing that you have to be cautious about with these agents. Well, it's just fascinating how the tides have changed and we're really sort of back to the basics in terms of really uh, managing uh, weight, health, cardiometabolic syndrome. And I think, uh, especially for women, I believe it's going to be incredibly important. It's so much harder for us to lose weight, especially in the post or perimenopausal time when we start to see that central adiposity increases. And these could be a, a really important solution, but also in a very cautious and cautiously optimistic way to move forward and to really go really, really slow and steady is what I'm hearing from you. Well, I can't wait to kind of bring you back and talk about this once Select is out with uh, the rest of the guys. And uh, thank you so much for this short uh, situation. You think we're going to see a mortality benefit in Select? Well, they saw, a, I mean, a 20% reduction in MACE. And again, select was in patients with obesity, no, uh, not diabetes. And so I'm not sure we'll see a mortality benefit, but I think a 20% reduction in MACE is pretty impressive in this. Pretty, it's huge. So if it's, is it driven by reducing stroke or MIs, maybe a combination of all, and it'll be really exciting to see 
obviously if there's a mortality benefit that could be just a game changer i hope they're ready for <laughs> supplying the drugs uh, more or having it be available to more people and i think it's really important that this doesn't just get distributed to rich white people sorry to say but honestly we really need to make sure that we think about this as a holistic approach to the entire population whoever needs it most. Uh, and I think that's going to be really great. Thank well, you so I, much. Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to add, there's already data that there's disparities, especially in our black patients not getting access to these medications. Uh, and so we really need to be cognizant of these disparities and make sure that we focus on getting everyone access. Well, thank you so much, uh, Pam for your brilliant um, approach to this very important uh, topic. And uh, I look forward to talking with you after Select is presented. I can't wait uh, to, to, to air this together and, and see you then. This is Roxana Moran uh, signing off, Rox Heart Radio. Keep listening. 